continuing our series in the book of Ruth today. We'll finish it up next week. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Ruth chapter 3. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to just point out to you, if you weren't here at the start of the service, today is Youth Serve Sunday. So we're intentionally plugging in our 6th to 12th graders in specific areas. Now, here's a couple of things about that. First, less people are serving today than they normally would because we all worried about getting one sickness for two years, and now all the other sicknesses have decided that they want to rear their ugly heads and now get us all sick again. So uh, we don't have as many kids, but they're all kind of recovering who aren't, and we're happy to actually have 6th to 12th graders who next Youth Serve Sunday, hopefully we weren't on this stage where everybody's getting all these other, <laughs> smacked around by all these other sicknesses. But secondly, I do want to point this out. Here at Liberty Northeast, we do not believe that children are the next generation of the church. We believe they are this generation of the church, meaning that they aren't like, we're not waiting for you young people to serve, to give your life to Jesus, to follow him. We see you as part of our family, and we're all kind of doing that together. So please, like, if you're young here and you're, you're like, you're waiting to, like, be put into the game, like, you're in the game. It's like, just, just let's do it together, and let's make it happen together. So we're excited we love that uh, a lot of churches do it differently. Maybe with like bigger programs, we kind of focus more on discipleship of our young people, and that's kind of what we try to do. So that's that. Let's move into the sermon. Each Christmas season, Amanda and I, what we do is we go through our favorite sitcoms and we watch all of the Christmas episodes of those sitcoms. So if you've been here for a while, unsurprising to you is that one of my favorite episodes to watch is The Office's The Christmas Party. It's season two of The Office, and there's a, they have a Christmas party. And there's this interesting place where, like, where Michael, who's the boss, who goes well over the $20 limit, and he buys Ryan the Temp a video iPod. Remember when they used to make those? Video iPods. And it was like $200. It's really expensive. And Michael says this, which I think is really, really kind of funny, but also very revealing. Presents are the best way to show someone how much you care. It's like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, hey, man, I love you this many dollars worth. <laughs> and so what happens is, is that it kind of continues, and they go into the office gift exchange. If you've ever been at one of those, they're always not as fun as they think they should be. And so he ends up getting a, Phyllis ends up giving him a what? Does anybody remember? An oven mitt, exactly. So one of you have seen the episode who wasn't even born when the episode came out. And she gave him an oven mitt. And so Michael then gets storms out. He gets angry, and he says to the camera this. So Phyllis is basically saying, hey, Michael, I know you did a lot to help the office this year, but I only care about you a homemade oven mitt's worth. I gave Ryan an iPod. Now, Christmas can bring out the best in us, right? All times it's be gift-giving, being charitable, we fellowship with our family and friends, and we can be self-forgetting, but it also can bring out the worst in us, like getting angry when you get an oven mitt, or when you, get, you don't get what you want, or people don't schedule their lives around spending time with you, and you can only think about yourself because you can become self-absorbed during Christmas. And like I said last week, Ruth isn't really a story about Ruth. It's not even a story about Boaz or Naomi. It's actually about God's providence. Still, each character in the book has its role. 
or their role. So today what we're going to see is how God used Ruth. And what he did is he used Ruth's faithful and self-forgetful actions to make good on his promises to his family. See, the story is really about God's providence, God determining these events, entering into the events of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz's lives to make sure he takes care of his family long term. So the success, what I want us to understand today is that the success of God's family anytime and anywhere is dependent on each member leading faithful and self-forgetful lives. That each of us, if we claim to love Jesus and we claim to be part of his family, we, it's dependent on all of us together, particularly here in our local church, our local family, our local church family, like at Liberty, we have to lead these faithful and self-forgetful lives. But the problem is we often aren't. We're usually unfaithful and self-absorbed. So my question I put for you today is, when it comes to your relationship with God's family, are you unfaithful and self-absorbed? Or are you faithful and self-forgetful? So the Bible is full of God using the faithfulness and self-forgetfulness of his people. So whether it's Abraham leaving Ur, or Moses leaving Egypt and then going back to Egypt just to leave Egypt again, or Joseph taking, or sorry, Joshua taking the people into the promised land, or the prophets speaking God's truth at risk of losing their lives, God used faithful, self-forgetful people to make good on his promises to his family. And God is looking for faithful, self-forgetful people in every generation for the sake of his family. Now, faithfulness may be a term you're familiar with. But when we actually look at the definition of faithfulness, the way the Bible plays, spells it out, one commentator writes this, faith and faithfulness are logically and linguistically one in the Old and New Testament. And he elaborates, this indicates that faith is more than a momentary assent to the truth of God, its commitment to that truth, and it manifests itself in continued obedience. See, faith is not just about like one time I have mentally ascended to these doctrines and these truths about God. It's actually faith and faithfulness in the Bible are the connected. You cannot say you have faith if you do not have faithfulness. But what's self-forgetfulness? So faithfulness, we kind of understand, right? Continued obedience. Tony Evans says, like, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. That's faithfulness. Faith and faithfulness, same thing. Self-forgetfulness, Tim Keller says, is not thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. You see the difference? It's not that I have, like, low self-esteem and I think less of myself and I don't see myself as a child of God or created in his image. It's instead I think of myself less and others more. So we need both of those, faithfulness and self-forgetfulness, if we're going to be part of God's family. And we need that particularly if we're going to build God's family a beautiful picture of God's family, a successful picture of God's family here at Liberty. We need that. And we see Ruth exhibit both faithfulness and self-forgetfulness. So let's look at verse 1 of Ruth 3. 
And we'll read to verse 2. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with those young women you, you were, with the, whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. My mom was the first to point out that I should date Amanda, my wife. My mom. So if you think you have no game, if your mom didn't pick out your spouse for you, you're doing pretty good. But Amanda and I were good friends in high school. We actually we really enjoyed hanging out together. I just I guess I was blind and didn't see she was pretty. I don't know what was going on. Like, I was in my own world, probably self-absorbed, right? As the sermon's mostly about me right here. But one day my mom met Amanda, and she came home raving about her. And she said, you should ask her out. I was like, Mom, we're friends. Like, we're, I don't think it's going to work out. You know, like, I, we, like, we're just friends. Sometimes moms know best. And that's what's happening with Naomi here. See, even though Boaz was able to redeem Naomi and Ruth's family line, no one pushes it. Boaz doesn't push it. Ruth doesn't push it. So mom's going to step in and do something about it. She's going to make this thing happen. So she tells Ruth, hey, go clean up, put on some perfume, put on some nice clothes, and wait for Boaz to have dinner. And which is an interesting instruction. She says this in verse 4, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So young people, back in the day, you didn't marry for love. You didn't. I also think it's kind of bad advice, and we can, this is a whole other sermon for another day to just tell you, like, go get married if you love someone. That's bad advice, too, but that's a whole other conversation for another day. Pick up Tim Keller's The Meaning of Marriage, and that will be the best I can say right now. You marry the person your parents thought were best for the family. Because if you remember, I talked about this before, is that it's not about individual identity. There is no individual identity. It's all about family identity. Now, I don't think that's also a good idea either. All right, so like, just, just I critique the one. Don't think I'm saying, hey, let your parents pick out your spouse for you. You, met, you probably have a better game than I do. But that's what Naomi's doing here. Where's Ruth's mom? She's not there. So mother-in-law steps in to arrange the marriage. So Ruth responds to Naomi's request. Look at verse three through three, sorry, chapter three, five through six. This is really interesting. Watch how Ruth responds. And she replied, Mom, I don't love him. No. She responds, all that you say I will do. And she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Ruth is faithful. That's what the book is trying to show us. The author is trying to show us. Ruth is faithful. She's been faithful to Naomi since chapter 1, and she hasn't stopped in chapter 3. What you say, all that you say, I will do. Faithfulness. But she's also self-forgetful because she's thinking of herself less and Naomi more. The reason why Ruth is doing this is because she loves Naomi. She wants to be, she's faithful to Naomi, and she's self-forgetful. She's thinking of herself less and saying, I worry about Naomi more than I worry about myself. 
So let's look at what it means to be unfaithful and self-absorbed. Pick up in verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then he came softly and uncovered his, sorry, then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. What we're going to see here is that God's family needs each member to guard against being unfaithful and self-absorbed. We actually have to guard against it. Boaz spends all day on the, all day beating grain on the threshing floor. Like, you know how you do, right? Every day, husbands, you're out taking the grain on the threshing floor, and, you know, that's what you do every day. And he's done, so he grabs a burger and some fries, and he drinks a beer or two, and, you know, he gets tired. He falls asleep on the couch. No, he falls asleep at the end of the heap of grain, which is a safety measure. So back in the day, you used to do that because you wanted to make sure no one came and stole the grain so somebody would sleep at the edge of it to make sure no one stole it. So Ruth comes to him quietly and uncovers his feet, which is a sign of submission. Now, I will say this, and this is probably just so you know, and this is not really like, we're not going to dwell on this too much. Ruth is probably, because she's a Moabite, she's not one of God's people, is making herself sexually available to Boaz. She's probably doing that. But the Bible is not really f- emphasizing that. It's emphasizing her faithfulness and her submission to him. And she lays down at his feet. And verse 8, At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And you might be like, well, how do you not know there's a, somebody laying at your feet? He didn't. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings all over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So, Ruth, so Boaz wakes up at midnight. Remember, there's no electricity, right? So he can't see who's laying down at his feet. Like, back in the day, it's dark, it's dark. Like, the pioneers, like, it got dark. They went to bed. That's what they did. And then they would wake up in the middle of the night, they would kind of do some stuff, and then they would go back to bed until it became light out, right? So you're going to bed at, like, 5 o'clock. Same type of thing here. So he wakes up at midnight. It's really dark. He, doesn't, he can tell there's a person at his feet, which you probably would tell, too. But he knows it's a woman probably because he smells her perfume. That's the only way he really knows. So he's like, people who steal my grain don't typically lay at my feet, and they don't usually smell like this. So in, so in chapter 2, Boaz said Ruth put herself under the Lord's wings, and now she asks Boaz to put her under his. Catch that? Spread your wings over your servant. She's asking Boaz to be the answer to his own prayers for her. And this is so side note. Oftentimes, God will use your faithfulness as an answer to another family member's prayers. Sometimes somebody's looking for, you, for God to spread his wings over them, to protect them, to love them, to bring them in, and God says, you know who I'm going to use? You, to do that. Worn-out parents who need a break from parenting so they can worship the Lord on Sunday— and could use somebody to invest spiritually in their kids, you serve in Liberty Kids. Someone who's having trouble paying their bills, God, spread your wings over me, protect me, care for me, God. And they come to church for our church for help. 
and you are the one who's been used by God to spread your wings over them because you've been faithfully giving to our church, and we can say, yeah, we can pay for that. James 2, 15 through 17 says this, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. In 21st century Christianity, that would be, I'll pray for you. Right? You're poor, you, have no, you don't have good clothes, you don't have any food, I'll pray for you. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See what James is saying? He's saying if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I need the Lord's protection, I need the Lord's help, I, I don't have food, I don't have clothing, and you go, I'll pray for you. James is like, what good is that? Be the answers to somebody's prayers. By being faithful. Swing back to Ruth 3, verse 10. And Boaz said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in you, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich, poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let's, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Ruth is faithful. To Naomi, yes, but also to Boaz. Boaz says, you could have sought out a rich young doctor to be your husband, but you picked me. Ruth showed kindness to Boaz for the kindness he showed her. So she goes to him. And she's self-forgetful. She's not thinking of herself first and what she needs or what she wants, but she's thinking of Naomi and what Naomi needs and what Naomi wants, which is children to continue the family line. And Boaz, in return, is faithful. He's faithful to God because he doesn't make a move on Ruth. He could have. It was dark. No one would have known. But instead, he treats her with respect. And he's self-forgetful. He thinks less of himself. Sorry, he thinks of himself less. Because he says there's an actually, truthfully, Ruth, there's another man who's in line to redeem you before me. God's family needs faithful, self-forgetful members. And God further highlights this by comparing her, Ruth, to two women. Two women. The first is the mother of Moab. In verse 7, there's this word play that we don't see in the English. But 3.7 three, says, Ruth came softly or quietly. In the Hebrew, that sounds and is spelled like Lot. Abraham's nephew. And so that takes us to Genesis 19. If you have a church background, you know Genesis 19 is when God rescues Lot and his daughters from the destruction of Sodom. But his daughters don't have husbands, so they don't have any sons that continue the family line. Sound familiar? 
So it's, but instead of being faithful and self-forgetful, they make a move. And if this move is so unfaithful to God, it's so self-absorbed that it still turns our stomachs to this day, and it definitely doesn't make your children's Bibles. What they do is they come up with this plan to get their dad, Lot, drunk. And when he's drunk, while it's dark, they go in and sleep with him. So verse 36 of Genesis 19 says this, Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. And listen to this. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. Ruth is a faithful, self-forgetful daughter of Moab who comes from the people spawned by the unfaithful, self-absorbed mother of Moab. He's, so what God is doing, he's highlighting Ruth's faithfulness and her self-forgetfulness, and he's trying to have us see this other woman, the mother of her people, and saying, look at the difference. And the Hebrew people wouldn't have missed it. They wouldn't have missed it. They would have known. Whoa. Whoa. Ruth is faithful, self-forgetful daughter of Moab who comes from the unfaithful, self-absorbed mother of Moab. Lot's daughters were impatient. They took matters into their own hands which were unfaithful and self-absorbed. See, impatience will always lead you to becoming unfaithful and self-absorbed. It always will. And it will destroy God's family and you in the process. Have you ever assembled anything from Ikea? Anybody? Where apparently someone in a boardroom somewhere in Sweden determined that the Allen wrench would be the universal tool for all home furniture for all time. So when I got my kitchen table and chairs and there was like a hundred pieces to put together and you're given an Allen wrench, I was like, this John is going to take forever. So I got my electric drill with the bit that would fit in the Allen wrench hole and I used that to assemble the chairs quicker. And the result, I stripped some screws. And if I had listened to the Swedes and I had used the Allen wrench and I had been patient and I didn't worry about the time that it would take, I wouldn't have screws that are sticking out the side of my chairs at my kitchen table that are just waiting for me to gash my leg on them before I drink my first cup of coffee in the morning. I was like, that's what, like, faithfulness and self-forgetfulness involves patience. But we don't like patience. Like, God's like, be patient. Here's the Allen wrench. Do it this way. And we're like, you know what? I'm going to do this faster. I'm going to go grab my electric drill. And it's going to look almost right. Lots, daughters. Hey, I want you to have, hey, trust me. I'll give you family. I'll give you family. I'll give you sons. Don't worry. Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the electric drill and we're going to do this faster. Beauty always takes patience. If God's trying to construct a beautiful family, it's going to take patience. Waiting nine months for a child to be born takes patience, but it's beautiful. The giant Himalayan lily takes somewhere between five to seven years to bloom. And what it does is this massive, 
beautiful flower that people just talk about. It's amazing, but they wait five to seven years for it. I can't even, like, get tomatoes to grow. I'm not going to be able to wait for that because I'm impatient. But beauty takes patience. God is building a beautiful family. It requires patience. It requires patience and faithfulness. It requires patience and self-forgetfulness. But when you're impatient, you'll be unfaithful and self-absorbed towards God's family and vice versa. And when you're unfaithful and self-absorbed, you'll become impatient towards God's family. So if you're self-absorbed, so you get impatient, what you'll do is you'll write off people who aren't the finished product yet, as if you are. Don't we do that all the time? Oh, they annoy me because of the, the sin that they have in their life, or, you know, they, they keep, like, talking about themselves all the time. Ah. As if I'm some type of, like, the finished product. God's gift to the earth. Evan Curry, finished product. You're, you're welcome. Or you're self-absorbed, so instead of seeing someone new at church as an opportunity to share God's love with them, you only talk to your friends. Or you, you don't get from home meeting what you think you should be getting from home meeting. You don't say, what could home meeting be if I'm there? You don't say that. You say, you know, I'm just not going to go. I'll be unfaithful about going. Or you're impatient because you give and you serve and you don't see immediate return on your investment, as if Christianity is about return on investment. You're never going to be able to be return on the investment that Jesus gave. He's never going to get return on that investment. But we become unfaithful in giving and serving because we don't see the immediate results. Or we're self-absorbed, so when we don't understand why there's different aspects of the worship service and we don't understand what the movements are and what they're happening and why Jim keeps telling us about where we are in the church calendar or why the colors are this way or why we're singing these songs and, like, why are we lighting these candles? We, we just go, you know what? It's rote. It's stupid. It's boring. I'm just going to blow off worshiping with God's family. See, when you're unfaithful and self-absorbed, you become impatient with God's family and actually ends up hurting you too because what you end up doing is you end up pushing everyone else away. You're just blowing people off left and right. You know, you're not the finished product. Oh, I don't understand the worship, so I'm just going to not worship anymore. Or I'm just not going to go to home meeting. And then what happens is you're left alone. So there's no one to lean on when things go bad, when things get tough. Naomi leans on Ruth, who leans on Boaz, and Boaz leans on Ruth, who leans on Naomi. You know, like, it's, that's what the picture we're having here of God's family, and they're all leaning on God. So if God's family is going to succeed, we must be faithful and self-forgetful. Not just sometimes faithful, not just sometimes self-forgetful, because God's standard is that we're always faithful. We're always self-forgetful. But the fact is, we aren't. And we can't be without his help. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to beat you up. I just want you to know where you and I stand with God. He says, I want you to always be faithful. I want you to always be self-forgetful. And you're not. It's always freeing to know where you stand with someone, right? It's always like, you might not like it, but it, it doesn't feel good, but it's good to know like where you stand with your spouse. It's good to know where you stand with your friends, or it's good to know where you stand with your boss if he thinks you're doing a good job, and you may not want to know it, but it's freeing to know it. So we need, to, we need people to speak the truth to us. We need to be reminded of what the standard is and how to meet it, but ultimately, God is the standard. 
who's perfectly faithful to us even when we're unfaithful, who's perfectly self-forgetful in loving us even though we're self-absorbed and we don't deserve it. See, you need then God's family to be faithful and self-forgetful. You need people in God's family to help you get there because you aren't going to be on your own. And God is saying, I'm going to spread my wings over you with the people in your family. God's family keeps you accountable. God's family encourages you. They pray for you. They carry the burdens of your sins and failures with you and even help you remain patient when you're impatient. Hey, hang on. Wait. Like, do you ever had like somebody, like a Christian, another Christian say to you, hey man, I know you want to do this. I know you're jumping for this quick fix. Wait. Please wait. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. Trust me. And you find out later, whether good or bad, that they were right. And then you also have people who commit with you to walk with you so as you grow in faithfulness and self-forgetfulness. So we need to be faithful and self-forgetful. So if you jump back into verse 11, I just want to point this out. And now my daughter, do not fear, Boaz says, I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Like I said, Ruth is compared to two women. This time it's not Moab's unfaithful, self-absorbed mother, but to a faithful, self-forgetful woman. And we have a clue here. Ruth is a worthy woman. So first, she's actually the faithful counterpart to Boaz, who in chapter 2, verse 1, is a worthy man. But also, more importantly, the woman she's compared to is the Proverbs 31 woman. In Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, King Lemuel, his mother, is teaching him on the kind of woman he should seek to be his wife. And she's, she's this woman is the personification of lady wisdom all throughout Proverbs. So in verse 10 of Proverbs 31, it says this, an excellent woman who can find. Now the ESV translated excellent, but it's actually the exact same word that's translated worthy in Ruth 3.11. So young people, the Hebrew Bible is ordered differently than our Bibles, the English Bibles. In the English Bibles, what we do, we, we kind of do it chronologically, and we go, okay, Ruth is during the time of Judges, so we put Ruth right after Judges. But in the Hebrew Bible, they kind of put it together more theologically. Ruth is right after Proverbs in the Hebrew Bible. In other words, the Hebrew people are saying, who has found the worthy woman King Lemuel should find? Boaz has. It's like the Hebrews were saying, Boaz is the Proverbs 31 woman. I'm sorry, Ruth is the Proverbs 31 woman. That'd be weird. <laughs> but the question is, who's the Proverbs 31 woman? Ruth. And the description of the Proverbs 31 woman is someone who's faithful and self-forgetful, just like Ruth. Her husband's known in the gates, which we'll see in chapter 4. Boaz is known in the gates. She's physically strong, right? We talked about, like, like, Ruth, like, brought back a haul. We talked about this last week. Like, she's no slouch. She brings back weeks of grain. She provides food for her household. She provides food for Naomi. She cares for the poor. Naomi's poor. She's praised in the gates, just like Ruth is known by everyone in town as a worthy woman. And her children rise up and call her blessed. And they will. She's mentioned as the great-grandmother 
of David, and she's mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. Ruth, one of the only women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. And Ruth, who comes from the line of unfaithful, self-absorbed women, has made herself faithful and self-forgetful to Naomi and her God. And she is the worthy woman of Proverbs 31. And she's this example of a woman who fears the Lord. And in the end of Proverbs 31, it says, a woman who fears the Lord should be praised. And she's praised. And her line will result in King David, like I said, who will rescue God's family, and he'll live a life of faithfulness and self-forgetfulness for a time. But he, too, will give in to unfaithfulness. He, too, will give in to being self-absorbed. And as the king the head, as the king goes, the head of God's family goes, so does the family. So what ends up happening is God needed to send another son of Ruth. And he did this through another Proverbs 31, Ruth-like, faithful, self-forgetful woman in Mary. Luke, if you read Luke 1 and 2, you can see the constant, like, there's this kind of reminder, like, Ruth, Proverbs 31, Mary. So what God does, he sends his son as the head of his family to live a perfect life of faithfulness and self-forgetfulness. And so what Jesus does then, Jesus, God's son, Ruth's son, Mary's son, perfectly does this. And he perfectly keeps God's standards on your behalf. So on the cross, Jesus actually becomes as if he was unfaithful. He becomes as if he was self-absorbed. And so that when you and I put our faith in Jesus and become part of God's family, when God looks at you, it's part of this great exchange. Jesus is seen as unfaithful. Jesus is seen as self-absorbed. You are now seen as faithful and self-forgetful. You've got this exchange. And I don't, I don't think like, like maybe you guys like don't, haven't heard this before. You, you, it's not like in our, in our hearts. Like the great exchange is that Jesus swapped places with you. And we've, if you've gone to church for a long time, this just becomes like the thing that you hear. But it's amazing to think about. You don't meet God's standards at all. And Jesus says, I'll swap places with you. You're, and you and me, we're unfaithful. We're self-absorbed. And Jesus says, I'll swap places with you. So I get your punishment. I'm told that I don't keep the standards. When in reality, he did. And so now God sees you as faithful and you as self-forgetful, and God says, you meet the standard. You look like me because you look like Jesus. And that's so freeing that there's no need for us to be impatient because God in Jesus has it all squared away already. And God rewards us when we respond with faithfulness and self-forgetfulness, just like Ruth will be rewarded. Because by his actions, Boaz says to Ruth, hey, tell Naomi, don't worry. Either this man who's in line ahead of me will redeem you, or I will. But consider it squared away. See, when we respond to faithfulness and self-forgetfulness, watching God come through in his promises, getting a front row seat, getting, being able to look into the window of God coming through on his promises, squaring everything away in Jesus, doing this great exchange becomes rewarding in and of itself. And so God's family needs faithful, self-forgetful members to succeed. 
So first, if you're outside of God's family, here's the deal. You do not meet the standard, and you will never meet the standard unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus. So give your life to Jesus today and commit to his family. But for those of us who do claim that we're part of Jesus' family, the standard's still the same. It's still God's faithfulness. It's still God's self-forgetfulness. And if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, I do not meet the standard, and I need help. And so God gave me help through Jesus and his family. Me, you have this long track record of being unfaithful and self-absorbed. God said, here you go. Here's a gift, Jesus. And you know what comes with Jesus? Always comes his family. So you need help from God's family to be faithful and self-forgetful in God's family. Sunday worship does that. Being faithful to Sunday worship reminds you who the standard is, and all of us kind of confess together. During confession time, we don't meet the standard, and all of us kind of like together receive forgiveness. It's a constant reminder of what Jesus has done for us. And we have to remind ourselves of that. Home meetings are great opportunities for that too, to be faithful and self-forgetful. To actually say, you know, I'm not going to think about, I'm going to think less of my schedule. I'm thinking of my schedule less, and I'm actually going to be part of God's family during the week. I'm going to make a commitment to that. you got to commit to that ahead of time. And then, of course, this very practically, like if you're a man, what we're coming out of the men's retreat, one thing we really start to hear is like guys just need accountability. Elliot Woolworth is going to start an accountability group in the new year. Get involved in that. If you're like, well, I'm not really sure I should. If you're like, well, I'm not really sure I should, that means you should. If you're like, I'm good, like God has freed me from that, that's one thing. God's freed me from sexual sin or, or sin, that, that's awesome. I'm, you're the finished product. If you think you are, you definitely need to be part of that group. But for those of us who are, are broken, this is a great opportunity to actually like keep God's family to help us be faithful and self-forgetful. And then, of course, there's just simple things to fight against and guard against being unfaithful and self-absorbed. When you invite somebody to church, that guards your heart from being unfaithful and self-absorbed. Because you go, I'm not going to, I'm going to think of myself less and I'm going to invite somebody to church. I'm going to invite somebody Christmas Eve. Grab one of the invite flyers and just give it to someone. You have to decide today who that's going to go to, otherwise you're not going to do it. Or serve or give. These are all ways we can be faithful and self-forgetful and to guard against being unfaithful and self-absorbed. So let's work together on this. Let's work together and help each other lead these faithful and self-forgetful lives. And let's do that because we want God's family to be successful here at Liberty and, of course, our area and our world. So let's pray, and we'll continue our service.